the mature locations, the ones that we know in those areas, you know, how will they make themselves more competitive than other countries? Welcome to the GBS Masterminds podcast, the one and only platform for global business service leaders to share their experiences of building world-class shared service organizations. My name is Sashi Narahari, founder and CEO of iRadius, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm honored to host Owen Poke, a business leader with nearly two decades of experience in transformation, working with global brands such as Accenture, PwC, Deloitte, and now heading the GBS at Huntsman Corporation. Owen, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sashi. It's my pleasure to be here. Owen, so let's get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your career journey. Sure. So I am one of seven kids, um, born and raised in Nigeria. I am a mother of two princesses, two beautiful daughters, and a wife to a very handsome man, if I must say so myself, Yomi. I came to the United States when I was in high school and got my undergraduate degree in economics and international studies from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Go Tar Heels. In the middle of my career, I went back to get my master's from Duke University. On the personal side, prior to joining Huntsman, I was a career consultant at some of the top consulting firms in the country. I started with Accenture, then went down the finance transformation route with PwC, and finally at Deloitte. When I was working in Deloitte, I was working for Deloitte, I got the chance to work with the Huntsman's finance leadership team on their GBS strategy. And it just so happened coincidentally that at that time, I was looking for an opportunity to step out of the world of consulting. So I reached out to the VP of FP&A at Huntsman and said, hey, I am interested in certain roles. And she said, you know what? We're moving ahead with that GBS strategy work that you did earlier on. Are you interested? And the rest is history. And that's how I started off as the head of GBS at Huntsman. All right. Oh, and so it looks like Huntsman called your bluff, right? You did all the management <laughs> consulting and all the theory and they're like, okay, now you make it happen. How's it going? I know. they really, And you know what? They've been calling my bluff, so to speak. But I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to, you know, translate all of those theories into reality or prove them out, right or wrong, so to speak. And so here I am. Awesome. So and you'll be the first on this podcast who actually has okay. done a lot of management consulting and strategy work. And now you're actually translating that into theory. So I'm going to ask you six dead or alive questions and your perspectives will be very unique for this audience for the GBS series. So let me start with the first one. The first one is related to the BPOs. In 10 years, do you think BPOs for outsourcing will be dead or alive? Short answer, dead, as we know them today from a labor cost arbitrage perspective. Long answer, they have to transform or evolve in order to stay alive. So that we have greater ability for companies such as Huntsman to set up our own captives and compete for the same level of talent that these, you know, business process outsourcers would go for. So to the extent that they're investing in the right amount of technologies and upskilling in partnership with their, you know, GBS counterparts or shared services counterparts, I believe that they would stay alive. But as they are right now, I think that they'll be dead. Very interesting. It's almost like you can always do a captive. Being a big company yourself, if that's the only value proposition, then you don't need them. 
but then they have to be a tech transformation partner as well as an overall advisory partner, which is kind of your background. So very interesting. Thanks for that. I mean, you hit it right on the head. I would just add that, you know, the BPOs themselves would need to transform their branches, as you said, from a from a transactor or transaction operator to becoming a true partner to the GBS or shared services organization. I would add that, you know, that their investment in digital technology and consulting services would also be a differentiator as the years go by. All right, let's go to the next dead or alive question. This is in relates to large physical service centers. We're kind of just coming out of COVID, everybody's <coughs> working from home, things going to happen. What do you think will happen in 10 years for a lot of these large centralized service centers? Could it be captive? Could it be BPO centers? Do you think they will be dead or alive? I would say zombies. <laughs> it will be a combination of both dead and alive. So there are some critical aspects to being in person and leveraging that in-person office feeling, both from a, for personal as well as business reasons. From a business reason perspective, you and I have heard it before, right? It's building the culture, the camaraderie between your associates as well as team building. That in my mind are things that are limited if you're only, if you're completely remote. For us here at Huntsman and for those who have set up centers at Greenfield locations, we know how important it is to instill the your corporate culture, instill the right set mindset that you want. And that is most successfully done, in my opinion, in person. On the other hand, you know, COVID has proven that you can do work and be successful at your work outside the physical offices. I'll give an example. Fresh graduates need to explore the corporate environment in physical service centers. However, Veterans don't necessarily need that corporate environment and should have some more flexibility from that perspective. So I believe at the end of the day, it would be more of a hybrid setup versus what we used to have pre-COVID. Got it. One question on that, uh, when we're all living through this as we speak, high readers included it. Do you think mm -hmm. because of, I mean, the culture, camaraderie, team building is so important, right? It's like a culture you're building like this. It's almost Absolutely. like a community. Do you think there'll be a bigger divide if somebody is just like, I'm just thinking loud, like doing some collections, accounting processes, and you can theoretically do the work from home. So will it create a bigger divide in the workforce where the management talent, the frontline managers, the key subject matter experts, they will be in the office collaborating, but the transactional workforce might even get further separated out and might have a long-term impact on career. I think it would be a divide. You know, so, you know, for example, for a lot of those um, positions that we staff from a transaction perspective, be it AP or AR, they're actually the segues into higher positions, even within finance and outside of finance or purchasing, as the case may be. So if you actually segregate your transactional personnel out of the office or out of, you know, make them completely remote, you're creating that device so they're not able to be mentored as well. They're not able to interact completely the same way that you would if you were in person and learning and understanding the various opportunities that would be available to you outside of your current opening scope. So my next dead or alive question, Owen, is on RPA. You have done a lot of digital transformation projects, automation projects. Yes. And my question is very specific on RPA. RPA in the current form, which is the as-is automation of screen flow, do you think it will be dead or alive in a decade? <laughs> So current RPA providers will be dead. I think that they'll be eaten up by the bigger players in the market. 
So you have key players within the market, such as oracles, who have made major investments, both organically and inorganically, to incorporate smaller RPA providers or incorporate those solutions into their own tech stack. I also believe that, on the other hand, there may be integration between smaller players and bigger players or even smaller players merging together so they can be competitive in the market. Got it. Now, Owen, one of the things that I've heard, and we heard this a lot in these podcasts that we've been doing, that RPA as mm-hmm. a technology is brittle, especially if you have to put this in production and they're supposed to consistently perform on an ongoing basis. There has to be mm-hmm. some brittleness, the bots break, and you have to keep fixing yes. them. I'm just curious if you're experiencing that, how you're handling it. You're right, Sashi. RPA is brittle. We don't really talk about the maintenance cost and some of the breakage that happens on the back end. So at Huntsman, one of the things that we did is we actually created an automation and advanced analytics team. We call it an A3 team. And we armed them with a two-part delivery system. The first is to train citizens, you know, our own associates at using the low or no code software platforms such as Alteryx and Automation Anywhere, as well as Power Apps. The second was also to actually have developers that would actually develop and build automation solutions to assist in some of our more complex problems. Now, in my mind, a lot of the popular about the stability of automation is not necessarily the fault of whatever automation system um, that you're working with or platform that you're using. It's more about how you organize your process around that automation. You can automate the heck out of a bad process, but it would still be a bad process. I think that being able to actually work through the process standardization before you're going into automation is the way way to go, as well as investing in your citizen developers or bringing developers to help solve some of the more complex automations that fit in your general ecosystem. Got it. So the key is basically don't just take an existing process and write a bot, rethink yes. does this process make sense and maybe a bot is needed or something else is needed, but define the appropriate to be state that makes sense for the company. Absolutely. And organize, reorganize to make sure that your new automation team or your new automation um, transformation, whatever you want to call it, is well supported. You still need humans. Awesome. The next question is on AI. Now with AI, it's a bit different. There's a lot of hype, a lot of companies are bullish about it, but then yet Mm -hmm. to see like a lot of strong case studies in the market. What do you think in 10 years from now? Will it just be a hype and be dead or will it get better and it'll be alive? Well, let me ask you a question, Sashi. What do you classify AI as? Very good question. So AI is a vast field and there's a lot of confusion between AI and RPA too. AI Mm -hmm. is basically operating on data and predicting outcomes either through machine learning algorithms or natural language processing to work on unstructured data sentences. I know it's a bigger than that, but specifically maybe for this context, we'll limit that to machine learning and natural language processing application. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with you. And as per your de- definition, it will be alive. So I'm a little biased because I grew up in consulting, I actually also grew up in the high-tech and financial services industries where you have more accessibility to new technologies than some other industries. So in my mind, in 10 years from now, RPA will be table stakes. However, the differentiators will be your application from artificial intelligence perspective. So either using natural language programming or machine learning or predictive and even prescriptive forecasting, I believe for the companies who invest 
in this area will give them a competitive advantage. Any company that needs to stay ahead of the curve would have to really invest in these technologies to remain competitive or even be in the middle tier. I like that. I think you summarized it very well. Like all the other automation technologies are like table stakes, like a zero sum game eventually, mm -hmm. but AI and machine learning is going to be harder, but that the companies that figure out, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, will become your competitive differentiator. So thanks for that. Absolutely. All right. Next question is Asia Pacific and LATAM as a service center location. Mm -hmm. uh, Owen, I think Huntsman were one of the like recent GBS centers and mm -hmm. you just decided the geographical strategy based on, I guess, more recent trends versus some of the other companies that have been doing GBS for a while, maybe a decade ago. So I'm just curious, in 10 years, given the consistent wage increases and inflations in some of these low-cost regions, could be APAC or LATAM. Mm -hmm. So it was attractive like a decade back, but given your recent mm -hmm. history, do you think service centers in such areas will still sustain or will be generally deserted? So I think they would still be alive. So. In my mind, what I believe will happen in a lot of these geographic locations is that we would see new country entrants who have built up their talent and infrastructure to take on more high value services. It's not going to be it's not going to be continually about the labor cost arbitrage, which used to be the argument that we had back in the day on if we wanted to move to some of the locations, the regional geographical regional locations that you mentioned. The question is how they, when I mean they, I mean the mature locations, the ones that we know in those areas, you know, how will they make themselves more competitive than other countries who are going to be new entrants, who have made investments in their infrastructure, who have made investments in their people, their talent, and allowing us to be able to be new entrants into, into their countries. So countries such as Malaysia, the Philippines, and other, other countries that are building captive and non-captive capabilities, how would the other more mature locations compete? In my mind, it will have to be a differentiator in talent and their investments from that perspective. One of the reasons why we chose to double down in Kuala Lumpur, we used to have a shared service center there and converted it into our GPS center, was partly also because of the government's commitment to develop talent and infrastructure, especially the high, more middle office talent that we're looking for beyond your general transactional talent. Got it. That's a good point. It's like the good old free markets, right? So you think APAC and LATAM will be have a play, but you'll start to see new countries emerge like with the bet you made with Malaysia. And then right. will be unique perspectives like the government support and upskilling of talent and so forth. Absolutely. All right. Last but not the least, Owen, this is the fate of GBS itself. In a decade from <laughs> now, I know this is all mm -hmm. what we are all part of, right? So it's hard to answer this question, but I would love to hear your bold and blunt view. What do you think about GBS as an organization? Will it be dead or alive? <laughs> Sashi, you're coming from my job. In my mind, it would be alive. And as with anything, as long as GBS continues to evolve. GBS itself is an evolution of shared services. If you do not evolve, you die. So as GBS's ability to adapt to change, ability to turn change into opportunities and create value for our internal customers, we will continue to stay alive. I think one, one other thought that I would add here is building your our organization as a brand of a capacity builder 
that can flex based on the business functions other than the usual transactional and cost savings process mm -hmm. is what would be the differentiator from a GBS perspective. Got it. So the good old survival of the fittest. So you got to evolve from just transactional cost savings to be more agile and be more strategic and be available as a burstable capacity for your organization. Agreed. All right. Closing note. So I almost think, Owen, you should be the brand ambassador for this, but I'm curious what you think. So you moved from management consulting, working for companies like Accenture, Deloitte. I mean, most of the workforce leaves colleges and they get recruited by these companies. And you went mm -hmm. from them to becoming a GBS leader. What is your career advice for peers, both in consulting and GBS? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, coming from you know management consulting to GBS, as a consultant, there was some advice that I would recommend that would look good on paper or look good on, you know, based on research that we've done. But as I sit in the operational role, I know that some of those times, some of those uh, <laughs> advices don't work just based on circumstance. So um, some of the, you know, advice that I would give is, hey, be aware. Even if you've read it all in the books, even if you've done all the research and you've planned as much as possible, there are just changes that you haven't planned for and anticipated, and you just have to be flexible with it. I think flexibility, your adaptability to change will make you successful, irrespective of if you stay in management consulting or come out into industry. I think there is a huge, a great opportunity to build a career and future, even within global business services. I mean, hey, consulting firms have made a lot of money advising in the GBS space. But if you double down and look at some of the predictions, some of the trends that are coming your way and you're able to be proactive in advising on the solutions, you would definitely get far. The last thing that I would say as well from an advice perspective is your ability to combine cost optimization, process efficiency, and capability building is a three-pronged approach for success. Awesome. I'm going to summarize that point as going from management consulting to GBS is going from slideway to the real stuff. You can go <laughs> get the, into the real action and make things happen. So thanks for making that move. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it's very inspirational. Owen, thank you so much. It's been a very insightful conversation. It's been a delight to have you on the GBS Masterminds today. Thank you, Sashi. I appreciate being here. That was the GBS Masterminds podcast. For more information, visit gbsmasterminds.com and make sure to search for GBS Masterminds in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And on behalf of the team here at High Radius, thanks for listening.